At 11 o'clock, we'll just observe a minute of silence, and I want to already invite you at that time to think about sacrifice. Think about the sacrifice Jesus gave to us, and then the sacrifice of those who followed. Exactly what Ben said. So we'll just observe a minute of silence when we get to that point. Let's just pray again. Lord, thank you that we can stand still and look at your word and at the message you have for us this morning. Thank you that you're active and alive in our lives, Lord, to transform us, to guide us, and to grow us. And I pray that that would also be what happens this morning as part of this service. May the glory go to you, Lord. We pray that this would not be about a sermon or a good sermon, but about a good God and about a good Jesus that sacrificed his life to become the ark that carries us. That's a beautiful image. Thank you for all of these things in the name of Jesus, Lord. And we invite you to speak into our hearts and minds. Holy Spirit, work as only you can. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Fantastic. Let's make a start and then we'll just break it off in the middle. I'll try to make it in a slightly natural space and see how it goes. And we go from there. The theme for this morning is the wisdom of mission illustrated. The wisdom of mission illustrated. I believe in terms of sermon themes and topics and so on, God works in two ways and they're both equally valid and God uses all of them or both of them, I think, in a church concept. And that is, sometimes we have single sermons because God has a kairos message, a message in moment or in time for a congregation. But sometimes God prepares a bit of a different process and that is by virtue of series uh, or a series of message, which is usually what happens in our church. I mean, God gives Ben uh, insight and wisdom as to what he wants to journey with the church about. Now, a journey is often more than just a single sermon. I see single sermons more as God's word for this morning, for today. It's built into the bigger fabric of the journey God takes with us. But often I believe God works in sermon series. And so when Ben told me about this series, I asked, okay, so give me a bit of a breakdown. What is this about, the wisdom of mission? And Ben wrote, as he always does, you know, a, a number of really good thoughts. It was a beautiful email to read, I have to say that, mate. <laughs> it's fantastic. But one part of it said this, wherever Jesus went, he made a difference. Wherever Jesus went, he made a difference. And that just captured my heart right there. The wisdom of mission has to do with wherever Jesus went, he made a difference. I want to add something to that, perhaps, and say wherever Jesus went, he made a difference because he was on a mission. He was focused on this mission. Always about this mission. I think it is safe to say that Jesus came with a mission and his mission was to make a difference wherever he went, if you connect those thoughts. Not just any difference, but a difference for good and for God. Now, the moment you hear that, it sounds like a bit of a dichotomy because really everything that is for good implies that it is for God already. 
but really we're talking here about indirectly and directly for God, if you want to make that kind of distinction, covering all the bases. Really, Jesus made a difference for good and for God. Where did he get this mission? He got it from God the Father, of course. Really, God sent Jesus. God the Father sent Jesus. In theology, this is called the Mishu Day. David Bosch wrote a book about this, and I had the privilege to be involved with him before his death many years ago. Uh, and the book's name was Transforming Missions. Missions that transform, and let's transform what missions is really about. And that was what the book was about, a powerful thing. So the Mishu Day, basically it says, God the Father tasked Jesus with this mission, and then he asked him to go and do it. That's the invitation. There was no force. Jesus could have said no. Like we can say no today. At this point, let's just pause for a moment. I want to invite you, just observe a minute of silence and think about sacrifice. And thankfully, think about it. name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So basically God the Father tasked Jesus with a mission and then he asked him to do it. And in this way really the Father is sending Jesus to do mission. That's why Jesus says these words about himself. He says why? Uh, this is his par parents coming to look for him in you know, while he's spending time in the temple, and he says this, Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? I must be about this mission that my father has given me. I don't have a choice. I'm compelled. That's how Jesus saw it. Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? So what was this mission? What was Jesus' mission? We still doing a little bit of, of uh, background stuff, and then I'm going to use a few illustrations to open this up further. What was Jesus' mission? His fundamental mission on earth was to fulfill God's plan to do the following, to seek and save the lost. Bottom line. His mission also had to do with the kingdom of God, to establish it, to model it, and to grow it. In theology, we say that the kingdom of God, with the coming of Jesus, was 
fully established, but not yet fully culminated. It's not grown to everything God intended it to be yet, and we are part of growing the kingdom of God in the footsteps of Jesus. We read Mark 1.15, it says, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. See how he connects those two concepts, the kingdom of God together with um, being saved, coming to save, seeking to save the lost. I believe it also has to do with another concept, and that is shalom. I cannot help myself, you know by now that I like this word somewhat. Specifically, we're starting a snowball effect have a look at that. A snowball effect of pay-it-forward love in action that makes it better deeds. That's really shalom. I think it's almost like a trinity. Put Jesus here in a circle and then you put shalom here and the kingdom of God here. And these three things work together. This is really Jesus' mission. Uh, you know, if you, if you think about the gospel, this really is it. It's about Jesus. First and foremost, right at the top. Jesus, the centerpiece. Jesus risen high. Jesus who comes and shows us what life in the kingdom of God looks like and how to grow this in his footsteps. Jesus who shows us that shalom, which is exactly this, is the way to make all of this happen. I think these things hang together and they work together. And then as the Father sent Jesus, Jesus then in turn sends us in John 20, 21. As the Father sent me, so I sent you. Very simple, very clear, cannot be interpreted in any other way than Jesus says He's sending us to, <laughs> to do what He started, to continue it. Because God wants to continue saving people and societies and everything involved in it. God wants to continue growing the kingdom of God. God wants to continue to snowball shalom evermore into our world. He's not stopped. And we are tossed and asked to do the mission in the footsteps of Jesus now. Which brings us back to this whole thing of the wisdom of mission. What makes mission good? And how can we do it in good ways? That's what I interpret the wisdom of mission to mean. What makes mission good and, and how can we do it in good ways? Let's have a little bit of a look at these things. And here I'm going to start using illustrations out of my own world and what God is busy with in that world. The wisdom of mission, I believe, lies in the change that it makes happen. There's a cause and a call to make it better in whatever way it takes, wherever God sends you, to bloom where you are planted so that there's a beautiful fragrance that arises and enters into spaces and places. It may mean at times that, you, that, that changing life simply means that you have to effect salvation, that you have to, to pray that prayer with somebody. It's a wonderful thing if that happens. It may mean that you have to change life simply by helping somebody with something in a way that gives the glory to God. It may mean that you need to pray someone's life into a better space. Because there's power in prayer that we keep underestimating. It may mean working to change society. It may mean working to change thinking. Allow me to illustrate. So have a look at this. Mission as Changing Lives, the table students. I want to read you an email that I received two weeks ago. Hi, Johan. 
I just wanted to share a beautiful experience with you as I have with a vet team. I hope this will, vet is our vocational educational training department within Table. I hope this will encourage us all to continue along the journey that we are all on together as we share our gifts and talents to honor God and serve others. Often at times we face many challenges and trials as we aim to carry out this journey, but I truly believe this is where we shine the most. This is one of our staff members writing this email to me. A student whom I've been supporting for a few weeks now came into study group today and shared with me that she was never a believer in any religion, particularly Christianity. In fact, she was open about her involvement in the occult. During our study group support group yesterday, a few of the students were discussing their faith and their stories of how they came to know and have a relationship with God. This conversation ended in a couple of the students singing Amazing Grace to this particular student. Now, that's a good approach right there. Absolutely non-coercive, of course. <laughs> just creating an atmosphere that's easy, safe. We just explore this. Man, just taste of this. She left the group at the end of the day, still questioning if God was real. When the student returned to class this morning, she was eager to have a chat with me and told me that last night she called out to God and asked if he was real and if she was to give her heart to him. Would he listen and would he respond? I asked her if she wouldn't mind, I could pray for her. She was more than happy for me to do so. Following on from this discussion and prayer, she mentioned that she felt a huge weight had been lifted from her and that a feeling of peace came over her and that she knew God had responded to her request. She's now actively seeking a church to continue to build her faith and community in Christ. She also mentioned, I, I, did, mention, I did slip back in the reply, something of B, you know, Burnside family. But I think that may have come into it. Anyway, she's now, she also mentioned that she now feels confident enough to continue her studies. As she feels she's in a safe and nurturing environment to allow her to achieve the goal of completing her studies and go on to help other young people who are struggling. This is amazing. I mean, a life transformed, somebody in the occult, somebody unashamed about the name of Jesus, singing, you know, a number of students just talking openly about their own lives and what God has meant to them. A life transformed in that space because people were not afraid to proclaim the gospel, to show the gospel, to be the gospel in that space. And immediately the effect as well, first and foremost, liberation, because this person felt a heavy weight lifted. And I, I assume that's all the nonsense that came with the occultic involvement and so on. Heavy weight lifted, there was liberation, freedom, deliverance, all of that happening in that space. And immediately this person intuitively grasped something of the fact that God wants me to go and help others. It's an amazing story. Mission as Changing Society, the ICHIA story. ICHIA is an organization that we as Table belong to, of which I'm the chair now. Happened this year. It has a revolving chair, so that's not the, the biggest deal ever, but yeah. ICHIA stands for the Australian Christian Higher Education Alliance. It's all the Christian multidisciplinary higher education providers in the country together as an organization. Uh, and we, we work to further the cause of Christian higher education in the country, right across the country. We have members Avondale, Alpha Crucis, uh, CHC, yeah, Bose, you know, there's, all, there's, there's seven of us. A while ago, 
um, I became chair. Literally a week later, we had this whole thing about religious freedom break open in the country around schools and uh, changes in legislation in schools first and foremost, but that would also impact Christian tertiary education, higher education, as heavily. And out of that space, we got together as ICHEA, uh, you know, the emails went back and forth, back and forth, and eventually we decided there's absolutely no way we can do nothing. This is a time that God is calling us to make a stand and to be advocates for the gospel that we believe in, that we live for. God that we trust. But it's trepidation to step into that space. A little bit what uh, Davinda said this morning, when you take that first step onto the boat, you know, it's a bit of, bit of a wobbly step. There's a bit of trepidation because, man, there is an incredibly strong attack against Christianity in our country happening and against religious freedom. So we knew that if we step into this advocacy space, there's a, there's a strong chance of significant negative backlash. Just look at the same-sex marriage plebiscite uh, backlashes that happened a, a few months ago. This is the kind of battle, I believe, that we are in in Australia at this time. And then we wrote a collective response, and I'll just read a little bit of it for you, not all of it. Collective response by the Australian Christian Higher Education Alliance to proposed religious freedom and discrimination changes. And it started with a verse, 1 Peter 2, verse 16 and 17, which says this. Live as people, it's a little bit what Ben wrote this morning, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love your brothers and sisters in Christ, fear God, show respect for the political leaders. So we started it diplomatically, but also strongly with that. And then we wrote, as Christian higher education providers, we are deeply concerned by proposed changes to the Sexual Discrimination Act of 1984 which would potentially deprive our institutions of the religious freedom required to practice and educate within our faith perspective. Our institutions are places of education and learning, but are also communities which educate in a context in which the spiritual life and formation of our students are nurtured. For us, this requires the ability to not only teach from our convictions and beliefs, but also to have the freedom to shape our community life according to these beliefs. And so it went on, and we, we had a whole thing. The end result of all of this is we were not the only ones making advocacy. We were not the only ones pushing into this space. The end result was that the proposed changes did not pass in the first instance. Now, the battle still continues, but they did not pass in the first instance. What happened if everybody kept quiet? The wisdom of mission lies in effecting change, in changing society. This has changed society. This was mission in action. And I love it. Love it to be part of it. Mission as changing thinking. The Thinker magazine story. A while ago, the School of Education at Tabor. Let, let me take a step back. School of Education at Tabor. When I entered into Tabor, the School of Education was in trouble. The School of Education at that time, without mentioning any names, had a leader that had significant mental illness and deviated very far from the path that I believe God set for us. So there's been significant mission drift in our School of Education at that time. Within a few months, um, this leader was no longer with us, and it was a work that God did. 
And we started realigning it all and rebuilding it around Christian worldview in action. You know, that's what we are about. We started saying, look, we are at table. Our calling is very strongly to be Christian. We don't want to be Flinders University. We are called to be a Christian tertiary education institution. We're going to be true to mission. And this is a bit of a journey. Now, three years later, a few weeks ago, they, as a faculty, published a magazine that they call The Thinker. And there's a photo of it right there. That's the front page. Published this magazine. And this is the email that went out. Francis Ben, one of our lecturers, sending out an email with an electronic version of this magazine. He says, The Thinker magazine is the result of collaborative efforts and all of that, blah, blah, blah. The inaugural edition carries a theme around thinking about thinking. Happy reading and all of that. And then we got this reaction back. Within the next day, we got a reaction back from a principal in a school who says this, wow, this is a fabulous publication. Thank you for sharing. I look forward to sharing this with teachers. I think we'll begin with an electronic copy and all of that. Uh, it's so good to see an educational institution tackling thinking themes from a Christian perspective. It supports our Christian studies framework very well. It also supports a Christian's perspective in terms of the Australian curriculum. I really appreciate you sharing. Thanks. All of that. P.S. Do you mind me sharing this with all kinds of other educational consultants? It's a great resource for Christian studies. Let me know your thoughts. <laughs> I guess uh, you, you will be able to guess what we said about that one. Isn't this amazing? I mean, moving from where it was, significant mission drift, taking it in a direction that was completely humanitarian almost, but not necessarily God's way. There, there was mission drift, and now it's come back all the way into this. A quote from the magazine itself, page 7, says, At Tabor, our undergraduate students finish there. I'm not here to promote Tabor. I'm using examples out of that context just so to make sure. At Tabor, our undergraduate students finish their degree with the subject educational philosophy and Christian worldview. Many students share at the end of the subject how it has cemented their faith, made them more confident and able to discuss their faith, and even brought them into a stronger faith if they were wavering. That's, that's just music to my ears. I love it. Let's go one step further. The wisdom of mission also lies in how we do it. It's not just in effecting change. It's in how we do this. Because we can do it in a way that puts people off. That makes them, you know, if you try to force something down people's throats, that thing. Or even sometimes we, we give them just enough to inoculate them against whatever else we wanted to say. That's also not wise. And it's about how we do this. Now think for a moment about the holy institution of the South African barbecue. We call this a braai. Th this is what, what South Africans call this. So I'll talk out of my own context. Xi'an is now old enough to learn how to braai. Now this is a big thing. I mean, this is almost like a coming-to-age thing for South African boys. Which means that I invite him to come and braai with me. So what I do is then I explain to him how we do it and why and even, uh, even what we do. And, and now after a few of these sessions, he's been in training now for the last few months, so recently I gave him his own solo barbecue session. That he went solo. Now I can trust him to do the braai mission as I would. 
I think this is what God is doing with us when it comes to the Mishu day. He invites us to do mission with Him His way. And if we are wise enough to listen and comply, then there's a wonderful result. And then eventually God says, look, I'm sending you out. You know how. You know my heart. You are partnering with me in doing this mission. You are partnering with me in doing what Jesus started, in continuing the work of Jesus in the same way. It's an amazing thing. I call this the slipstreaming effect, and this is what it looks like in action. The slipstreaming effect. What God, you know, it's really about falling in behind God. I say to staff now, often I say, look, you guys, we're praying about things. We're praying so that we can align with God and make sure that we're in His slipstream. Because really, if it becomes really hard and tough, it probably means that I'm at the front and trying to break the wind myself. But if you're right behind somebody else's slipstream, behind one other cyclist, you save 8% energy. Behind eight other cyclists, you will save 45% of your energy. And you just follow the wheel. You, you go the way that this front rider goes. That's how it works. I believe this is what God does. So the question then becomes, what is God saying to us now? Where is He taking us? Are we in that slipstream or not? Or are we busy with our own thing? What is He doing now? What is He showing us? Follow that path. That's the invitation. That's the wise course. That's the wise mission to be on. Perhaps it means pray for somebody specific right now. Whenever I talk about praying for people specifically, I think about Barry Chant. I cannot help myself. Every time I meet with Barry, whether it's over coffee, whether it's over lunch, doesn't matter, Barry pulls out his phone. And then he says, so let me just go through the prayer list again uh, of all the people that you talk to me about. I just need to make sure that, the, that I, you know, who I need to add, who I need to take off. And uh, what has happened with that person? You told me this about them last time. I mean, I, I see Barry three, four times a year, perhaps. And it's always a blessing to me. But this is what happens. He's always continuously on mission to pray people into the kingdom, into a better space. Unbelievable what he does. It's such an example to me. It sometimes means to act in a specific way, in a specific situation. What is God showing you to do? Or are we doing our own thing? Perhaps it means to speak to somebody now about Jesus. I mean, we all have heard that thing that says, proclaim the gospel and if necessary, use words. Oh, you know what? Sometimes it does require words. <laughs> it's not an either or, I believe. Now, we've taken that thing out of context and made something out of it that I don't think is necessarily it. I think it takes both. I, sh I think it shows, it takes a life like Jesus's that, that modeled the kingdom but also talked about it all the time. I think it takes something that is at the same time very private, my personal relationship with God, but also always very public. And I have theological, actually we can do that in another sermon another day. An example of this is the Floyd McClung story. Floyd McClung, let me put that up. Book that he wrote, that is in, in uh, Dutch. Werken voor God. What does that say? By the devil op de stoep. Which, which roughly translated means to work for God while the devil is, devil is on the front doorstep, <laughs> basically. He worked in the red light district in Amsterdam. I've heard the story, read the story about Floyd McClung. He would, he would always be busy with God in his mind, hearing what God says. Who, who am I going to, 
uh, who is God directing me to go and speak to now or to go and pray for now as he did mission in the red light district in Amsterdam. So Floyd McClung tells the story. He says, look, if I, if I go up to a person and I ask them, can I pray for you? Or uh, Jesus sent me to come and speak with you. He was quite, you know, blunt in his approaches. It's, it's a Dutch, you can imagine. <laughs> I don't know where that one came from, but anyway. And he would say, and sometimes he says, one out of ten times when I felt that God prompted me to go and speak to a specific person, that person would say, no, 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 I don't want to have, uh, no, that's not for me, please, I don't want anything of this. And he would then usually come back with a reply that says, oh, okay, that simply means you're not yet ready, and he would walk away. And he says, then nine out of ten times that person would chase him and say, what do you mean, I'm not ready for this? There's something here, but the bottom line of the story is Fly Floyd McClung was a missionary in that red light district that had this unction to hear from God who to pray for next, who to go to next, who to speak to next. And nine out of the ten times, it was exactly what was needed in the situation. The other one time, you know, there's a question mark around what happened there. Maybe the person was not ready, whatever. That's what it means to slipstream behind God. The wisdom of mission is to do it to glorify God. It's told about Billy Graham. Heard the story about Billy Graham, also Amsterdam. Billy Graham was to do a crusade in Amsterdam. Uh, they organized it all. Billy Graham was flown into Amsterdam. As he flew into Amsterdam, he looked out of the window and, and he saw on one of the highest buildings in Amsterdam, they erected a sign that says, Amsterdam welcomes Billy Graham. Billy Graham landed, and the very first thing he addressed was that sign. And he said, look, I cannot continue with this crusade if you do not take down the sign. Because our God is a jealous God, and he doesn't share his glory with every, any man. This is about God. It's not about Billy Graham. He had the wisdom to know that it's about glorifying God, and that that is where the power and the strength lies. Not in his name, Billy Graham. Now, I mean, if anybody had the name to pull it off, it was probably him. And even him said, no, it's all about God. It's all about God. It was once, I was 26 years old in ministry, first congregation, went to an adjacent town for a church council meeting. Of a, you know, it's a bigger council meeting of a number of churches in that denomination. But driving back, it was about 5 o'clock the afternoon, and I came across a lady with a broken car along the road. And God, now in South Africa, when you see things like that, especially if it's somebody of another race than your own, you would usually avoid the situation because this is most likely a trap. It's really that bad. But I heard God say in my spirit, pick up that lady and help her. I said, Lord, you know the safety risk. You're aware of this. <laughs> God said, pick up this lady. Now, this has happened a few times in my life. I don't easily pick up hitchhikers in a South African context, but God has directed me to do this a few times. So this was not the very first time it happened. Stopped, chatted, picked her up. I mean, she was as scared as I was. Eventually made sure that she was helped, that the car was towed and all of these things. 
At the end of it all, she turned to me, she said, you are a good man. I am really glad that you helped me. I said, no, 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 you have to understand, I helped you only because God said. So give the glory to God. It's not about me being a good man. If I'm good, it's because of God. If I stopped, it's because of God. I wanted to make sure that the glory went to God. And I think it's important when we do these good things that people see Christ in them, see God in them, behind them. That is the wisdom of mission. It's to glorify God. The wisdom of mission is to work or do your job in ways that proclaim God. In social sciences at, CA, uh, at uh, Tabor, uh, they had a meeting the other day. They started it like this, and I received their material. In our faculty meeting this week, we discussed the meaning of the following verse in Colossians 3, verse 23. It says this, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Whatever you do, that's mission. If you do it for God, that's mission. We consider the ways in which framing our work as worship may liberate us from unreal and, and so on and so on. And so in our school of social science, this is the understanding. Man, it doesn't matter what we're doing, we are working on mission for God, to glorify God. There's something here. The wisdom of mission is to create an atmosphere that makes people breathe in Christ. I don't know whether you can see that uh, that's a face on the right-hand side and then it breathes uh, love. You can breathe in hate. It's another word there. Or you can breathe, breathe out compassion. You can create that kind of atmosphere. Just an image for it. Almost don't need to say more. So what kind of atmosphere is hanging around us? What is it that people breathe in? Speak to staff at, at Tabor, and, and I'm, I started a while ago using this image. I said, look, you guys, for me, the bottom line is this. Whenever a student or whomever steps onto these grounds, or whenever we engage with a student or a stakeholder or anybody, I want them to breathe in Christ because of that engagement, because of the atmosphere they get when they, when they come here. Are the people that we engage with breathing in Christ or not? If not, we're missing it. We're missing it. And then the last one, the wisdom of God is uh, gentle, godly Christ pressure relentlessly applied. <laughs> like boiling an egg. I sometimes wonder, I mean, and, I, and I say this with the greatest respect, Traditional English society, as well as to a degree, I think Australian society is extremely polite. It's so polite that I usually miss it. <laughs> really very polite. It's so polite that we take the pressure off, least we offend. But isn't the gospel exactly this? To keep the pressure on for God and in the direction of God? Isn't it exactly this? Maybe we are too polite. Isn't it exactly this? Put that pressure on. I'm not saying pressure that breaks, but enough pressure that boils the egg, if that makes sense. Last words. It's a personal challenge, all of this, so let's try to summarize it a little bit. What change am I making happen with God currently? 
we can only each answer for himself or herself. What am I actually doing to glorify God? What am I doing to proclaim God with words or deeds or both? What kind of atmosphere am I helping to create? That's the challenge. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, thank you that you are challenging us this morning. Perhaps with gentle pressure relentlessly applied to continue to transform more into the image of Jesus. To be more like Him. To do more like Jesus did. Because He did these things. He did everything to make a difference. To bring about change. To effect change wherever He went. He did it in wise ways. At times, Lord, He, he was quite abrupt and rude and robust even with the, with the Pharisees because that was what, what was required in that situation. At other times, Lord, he, he forgives the woman who's been caught in sin in John 8 because that was what was required there. Did it with such wisdom. But he was always on mission regardless of how it happened. Always busy with his father's business. Lord, this morning we are challenged to be about the same business in a way that glorifies you. If we have ever taken the glory for ourselves in the past, in any way, big or small, we pray that you would forgive us and help us to refocus on the fact, Lord, that it's not in our name that changes will happen, but in yours. Pray that you would give us strength and wisdom. Wisdom, Lord, to slipstream behind where you are going, where you are showing us to go, where you've already prepared the way. Pray all these things in the name of Jesus.